This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise from Charles Schwab is an original podcast that unpacks the stories making news there. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. The world of corporate deal-making, or M&A for short, is always full of intrigue. Multi-billion dollar deals inspire alliances, backstabbing, and huge fees on Wall Street. The latest deal evoking passion involves energy giants looking to swallow one another in search of greater profit. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. Today, I'm joined by Barron's associate editor, Andrew Barry, who spent the last many weeks covering the ongoing merger of Occidental Petroleum and Anadarko Petroleum. Andrew, Occidental wants to buy Anadarko for $38 billion, mostly in cash. Who are these companies, and and how did we get to this point where the dollars are so big? Well, Occidental and Anadarko are both mid-sized energy companies, and both of them actually have international operations, and their best businesses and their best assets are in the Permian Basin, which is the hottest and most productive area for oil and gas production in the country. And just tell us, where's the Permian Basin? The Permian Basin is basically in Texas and in New Mexico, basically straddles the border there. It's like the most productive area for energy production right now in the country for oil and natural gas, very low cost to produce oil and natural gas from that region. And so most of the major energy companies in the country, Exxon, Chevron, and others are active in that area and looking to get bigger. That's one of the key reasons why Occidental wants to buy Anadarko. They want to get bigger in the Permian, and they feel that they will have complementary businesses uh, when they put them together. And it wasn't just Occidental fighting for Anadarko, right? No, I mean, Chevron kicked this off by reaching a deal to buy Anadarko for about $30, $33 billion in mid-April. Chevron announcing it plans to acquire hydrocarbon exploration company Anadarko Price tag, $33 billion in cash and stock. The deal will enhance Chevron's... So Chevron made the bid in mid-April. They actually reached the deal. There was actually a signed contract. And then... Petroleum has decided to move forward with a public proposal to acquire Anadarko. Occidental, which had been rumored to be uh, interested in buying Anadarko, swoops in and makes a higher offer in early May. And then to basically clinch the deal, Occidental then effectively upped its offer and inserted an important clause into the deal where its deal did not require a shareholder vote on the part of Occidental shareholders. Occidental knew that its shareholders weren't going to love this deal, right? And therefore structured the deal in something of an unusual way? Yeah, the initial offer that Occidental made for Anadarka required a shareholder vote. And so by removing that requirement, Occidental really uh, went a long way toward reassuring Anadarko's board that basically this deal would likely happen. Okay. And somewhere along the way, Warren Buffett got involved. Buffett essentially provided $10 billion of high-cost financing to Occidental that enabled Occidental to restructure the deal to avoid a shareholder vote by its own holders and therefore make the deal more palatable to Anadarko's board and essentially make the deal happen. And what's in it for Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway? Berkshire Hathaway is getting essentially $10 billion of preferred stock, which pays an 8% dividend yield. So essentially Berkshire gets $800 million 
a year of tax advantage dividends, which for, even for Berkshire is real money. And uh, Buffett's very happy with the transaction. He said he would even do $20 billion or more. And of course he would because uh, it's so attractive. And right. so, um, so he would do that deal all day long. He would do it all day long. I mean, if he could do 10 of these deals, he, he'd be thrilled. The problem for Berkshire is that most companies don't want to issue egregiously priced uh, preferred stock to him. But, I mean, he kind of got a, got, a, got, he got lucky that Occidental was desperate to do a deal and desperate to do a transaction and came to him to kind of help make it happen. Okay. And then there's some other big names involved in this, in this deal, one of whom you just wrote about this past week, Carl Icahn, the corporate raider. What's his involvement in, all of, in this deal now? Well, Icon is one of the probably the most prominent, if the most prominent, corporate activist right now in terms of investor activist. And he likes to go after situations where he thinks that a stock is undervalued and his role in the situation can basically help influence it and, and turn it into a better one for shareholders and himself, and he can make some money in the process. So he's taken a 4% stake in Occidental Petroleum, and he's making noises that he doesn't like this transaction. He would like to see Occidental sell itself and basically put itself up for sale. But Wall Street basically gives him not much of a chance of breaking up this deal that basically Occidental has reached with Anadarko. So it's not quite clear what the icon playbook is going to be right here. It remains to be seen how much more uh, he may try to do to influence the situation there. He's kind of taken a foothold, he's taken a, a modest stake, and we'll see kind of what more he decides to do. You've gone so far as to call this one of the worst examples of corporate governance you've seen in your reporting career. Why is that? Well, basically, you have a, a transformative acquisition involving Occidental and Anadarko, in which it's essentially a merger of equals, where the companies are similarly sized. And in almost all instances like that, there is a shareholder vote, where basically shareholders are allowed to vote on the transaction, and because they essentially own the company. And so that's why I think it's it's a particularly egregious example of corporate governance. And Icon has said something similar. It's interesting that Occidental argues that it actually is good corporate governance to avoid a shareholder vote because the transaction is so important to the company. So it's really, it's kind of somewhat warped logic, but, you know, that's the way it is. But, of course, the idea generally with shareholders is that they deserve a vote equal to their economic interest as to what direction they want the company to take. Right. I mean, generally with the transactions that basically transform a company, the owners of the company ought to have a say in whether it happens or not. And basically management, which doesn't really own a lot of stock, is essentially substituting you know, their views for uh, you know, what shareholders may or may not want. And of course, so far, shareholders have protested by sending the stock down significantly. Yeah, I mean, shareholders have voted with their feet and gone out of the stock. Right. So they're basically unhappy with the transaction. Many have sold the stock. And it's been an unfortunate situation for shareholders long-suffering to basically have stuck around for a stock that's underperformed for many years. And now to top it off, you have this dubious transaction, which is not going to have a shareholder vote unless something really changes. Any chance then that Chevron just comes back and says, hey, we're going to up our offer. You're better off with us, either Anadarko or to Occidental at this point? I mean, it doesn't look like it. I mean, when Chevron walked away, they essentially stated that they felt that boosting their bid was basically not a good move from a capital discipline and a financial discipline standpoint. So Chevron gets a billion-dollar breakup fee. So I think they're happy to, to take the billion dollars, walk away, and maybe look for another deal or another transaction to accomplish whatever goals they have in terms of diversifying their base of energy assets. Wait, so let me understand this. Chevron starts the deal... 
Occidental happens to come in. They win the deal instead. Chevron says, okay, we're walking away. They walk away with a billion dollars? Yeah, I mean, typically in merger transactions, if one of the parties basically decides to withdraw from the deal, there's typically a um, breakup fee that's paid. I mean, if Chevron had walked away from the transaction, they would have had to pay it. In this case, Anadarko, the target, basically took a higher offer and a better offer. And so essentially Occidental has to pay the billion dollars because Occidental is buying Anadarko now. So not bad for Chevron. I mean, that's yeah, a nice it, little, actually, not a huge amount of money for them, I'm guessing, but not no, bad. I mean, Chevron's market value is over $200 billion. So it's, it's not a, a huge amount of money, but it's a billion dollars. They actually increased the size of their stock buyback by a billion dollars after the deal was announced reflecting the you know oh, billion-dollar windfall they're going to get from this. So Occidental is sort of disenfranchising their shareholders, and Chevron took a billion dollars and just handed it right back to shareholders. Exactly. Interesting. All right, the one other wild card in all of this is the price of oil, which has been falling for many weeks now, kind of just as this deal has been happening. How much of a factor is the price of oil in all this? Well, you know, that's an interesting situation. Occidental right now has one of the highest dividend yields among its peers. The dividend yield is almost 6% right now. And investors are concerned that with oil prices dropping from around $65 a barrel six weeks ago to under $55 a barrel, that if the trend continues and oil falls under 50 and heads closer to 40, that the Occidental dividend could be in jeopardy. That's one of the big selling points of Occidental right now is its very lofty dividend. And given the debt they're taking on, they'll have about $40 billion worth of debt after this deal is done, which is a reasonable amount of debt. It's basically as much debt as Chevron has, and Chevron is five times its size. So generally, energy companies like to avoid debt because it's a volatile industry, it's a volatile commodity, and you generally want to have a good balance sheet to ride through the tough times. And do you think this deal even happens, or any of these deals would be happening if oil were at the prices that they are now, you know, when, when no, they offer no, these things? No, I mean, th- th- this deal, I, I would think, would not have happened if oil prices were where they are right now six weeks ago. And so... So, um, a case of bad timing. Yeah, it was bad timing and, and bad timing, bad structure, bad governance, you know, bad almost everything for Occidental shareholders in the last six weeks. And, you know, the question now is, I mean, is the stock interesting? And I think uh, Icon seems to think so. Some analysts seem to think so. But there's clearly risk if this deal goes through. I mean, there's a possibility it could be broken up. There's a possibility that Occidental could be purchased. But that's not looking like a high probability event right now. So it's one to watch. And it's a stock that it's hard to get excited about given the governance issues and the fact that they're going to have this deal happen, which doesn't look all that favorable for them. But you never know what can happen. And there, are, there, there could be more surprises coming in the next couple of weeks. All right. I want to ask you one big picture question, which we're talking about these oil companies. They're drilling for oil. Aren't these companies dinosaurs at this point anyway? I mean, renewables, we hear about it all the time. So how close to being obsolete are these companies? I mean, I think the energy industry is a long way from being obsolete. I mean, the expectations are that oil demand will continue to grow. It's probably about a 1% a year right now. We'll continue to grow at least for another decade or two. And that while renewables are becoming more important and taking a greater share of the energy market, there's still very strong demand for oil in the U.S. for transportation needs and around the world, and particularly in the developing world, where basically economies are expanding and you have an expanding middle class that wants cars and wants air conditioning and wants a lot of the you know, the comforts we take for granted here in the uh, developed world. And that should continue to boost demand for oil and uh, fossil fuels. And so while I think looking at maybe 50 years, I mean, this industry could be a dinosaur, but I think for the next 20, I think it's on pretty solid footing right now. All right, Andrew. Thanks so much. 
To read Andrew's ongoing coverage of Occidental and Anadarko, check out this week's magazine and, as always, Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Litsoft. We'll return next Wednesday. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.